0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com.
1: And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast.
0: And today we're talking about Minute Six, which begins with Odin fighting the Frost Giants and ends with a slow move into our first shot of Asgard. And Joining us on the show today is Ryan Bennett of the Black Girl Nerds
2: podcast. Ryan, so good to have you with us. Thank you guys for having me. Any excuse to talk Marvel, so I appreciate it. You guys, are, you guys are the best, breaking it down minute by minute. So I'm excited.
0: Awesome, That's awesome. Good to hear you, Marvel detailed. fan. I've been really enjoying your podcast. So glad we can kind of have you on this one. And we're gonna jump right in. We uh, we're starting with minute six, Ryan. What first? What really grabbed you about this minute? Was there any one thing that you kind of noticed or kind of m- most paid attention
2: to? Uh, definitely the action scenes. What I love about Marvel is always the action scenes. So I love how uh, going back, seeing this, I forgot opening up with the with the Frost uh, Giants and having Odin there. That was that was really cool in that moment. Um, but yeah, anything anything action with Marvel has me at the very beginning.
0: Yeah, it's a great thing. Kenneth Branagh has talked about how uh, going all the way back to his movie Henry V. He doesn't like the, you know, kind of big, you see one army on one side, one army on the other. He wants you to be in the midst of the battle, not quite understanding it. Uh, And we're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more right after this quick message.
1: Interested in chatting with like-minded Marvel fans over on Facebook? Join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. We're also on Instagram and Twitter. Just go to truestory.fm slash MarvelMovieMinute and click on the link for the social of your choice.
0: Let's jump into that, that battle scene we see. The first thing I think that really kind of catches the eye is uh, Lofi with that ice weapon. And Andy, I think you, you're particularly pointing this out. What What is it you notice in that moment with, with that ball of ice forming?
1: Well, this is, I mean, we talked about This and how kind of cool it is as far as the way that they're depicting the Frost Giants here in the film, where they can form ice on their bodies to use as weapons. And I mean, they also have weapons. Obviously, we've seen a few of them with some weapons, but they also can form them. And here we see Laufey forming what looks like kind of a spiked ice ball in the palm of his hand. And then he hurls at Odin in the distance, and uh, and that's where Odin loses his eye. It's one of those things that I don't think I ever even knew that was actually happening. I just it's such a chaotic fight. Watching mm-hmm. it frame by frame, I was like, "Oh, this is him forming this ice ball," and that's when Odin loses his eye. I don't think I had ever caught that. It's cool.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting moment, especially because this is one of the times where we see the comic kind of most break from the actual mythology. Odin losing his eye in the Norse mythology, he voluntarily gives it up in order to uh, gain incredible wisdom. He he sacrifices it in the pool of Mimer. Uh If any Norse mythologists are listening, please tell me why my pronunciation is incorrect. I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, but and I so the movie didn't bring it up, but the comics did. But still I think it's worth really interesting. Like, what do you think this changes about Odin? Like no, having him lose that in the. In in the battle, instead of it being this voluntary thing he does, does that change your view of the character at all? Or does this make total sense for the way we see him in the movies?
2: I don't, to me, it makes him a little bit more rugged, like willing to take the battle. Like that's how for me, it, it shows like that's how he knows he's not going to take, you know, not to get too far into the movie, but how he's not going to take the mess from Loki and he's not going to take, you know, the the mess from Thor because he expects a lot. If he's going to go through this, if he's going to go through this to protect Asgard, he expects the same out of his sons. So I like that. I like that added, um, that grit, I guess, if you will, of that scene where it's like, look, this is how far I'm willing to go. You're not getting past this mark. Like, you guys got to go today. So I I love that about that.
1: It's a very tough moment. And uh, well, one, I think we talked about this earlier how Odin is depicted here as not the king who's like sitting on the hill, like directing his Mm -hmm. troops to do the battle. Like, he's actually down there in the middle of it. And so is Lofi. That end, I really like that we're these are leaders who are in the midst actually fighting with their troops, and yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a big moment where Odin is down there. I mean he couldn't get hurt, and here we see him very much get hurt and lose an eye, and and it's a it's a a powerful moment. But but I also think it speaks to the uh, kind of the breadth of this war that is raging across not just Midgard, but I mean across all of uh, all of the nine realms. It seems to be. And so it's it's really kind of cool. And so, you know, it's interesting with the Norse mythology being kind of this specific thing where he kind of gives an eye up to gain more wisdom. I mean, that sounds like a very kind of mythological kind of way to kind of go about that. But I feel like for a character who's missing an eye and has an eye patch every other time that we see him, I think there's an interesting uh, kind of a warrior strength that we get when we see him with that eye patch, knowing that he lost it in battle.
0: I mean, the other one we know about lost his eye to a cat, but I do. Get, <laughs> yeah, that you know is cool. That is cool. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> um, an I'm, alien cat, right? Yeah, you know, a
0: firkin is the correct <laughs> term,
1: I believe. Yep, right, exactly. I,
0: I think that's all very true. I, for me, there's also an interesting moment there in that I, the Odin that I read about in mythology, and that you know, and, and from talking to others about all wise all knowing that doesn't make a very interesting character in a comic book or a movie sometimes and especially given how much this movie is about the sort of odin isn't a great dad like he kind of all of a sudden you know i know we're going to get into that later in the movie but i to me it's why that moment is really interesting i from what i know about stan lee and jack kirby and how much they knew about the mythology they may have had no idea about any of that but whether it's intentional or not i think it's kind of an, an interesting shift of if this is the all-wise Odin, then maybe some some different parenting techniques would have made more sense. So, so moving on from there, um, we also hear that the uh, the casket of Eternal Winters is the source of their power. Uh for either of you, Ryan, I don't know how much you know the comic books, and I know you have. Is the casket something we hear about a lot in comic books?
2: I'm not familiar with it actually. I think the movie was what brought it in for me, um, as far as like knowing about it and and then how important that was and what it actually meant to Asgard to keep that to keep that grasp on that and not let it get away. So, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll defer that that um, that to Andy. But yeah, I, I think the movies was the most introduction I got about it.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting element, and again, as I, <laughs> I talked about it in a previous episode, it's so strange that it it was actually Malekith the dark elf who actually had the casket, not the frost giants, because it really makes sense for frost giants to have something that creates an ancient or releases these ancient winters. So it's, it's so funny that they're, they made that change um, Mm -hmm. or it's actually smart that they made that change here. It's weird though, the way that it's done. And I mean, at this particular point, you know, we have since left earth or Midgard and now are on, on uh, Jotunheim and, um, we, we see it once, I mean, once kind of, uh, they, they, you know, we see Odin defeat, uh, Lofi. We see him at, the uh, Lofi's laying on the ground. He's at the end of the spear and everything. It's, it's definitely a moment of, uh, you know, triumph and everything. But then when his, uh, Einherjar guard removes the casket from its, its stand, it's almost like he was plugged in or something. And I, I guess I'm not quite sure, what that's actually saying, because I mean, uh, Odin says it was the source of all their power. Okay, but literally, like he uh, he lifts it up, and it was like plugged into the planet, and it's like the the blue connection disappears, and all of a sudden I'm like, is this you know like is is Jotunheim shutting shutting down? Now it's it's a strange way to kind of depict that, I think.
0: Well, I know Branagh later uh, said in his commentary track that he wanted Jotunheim to look like this sad, defeated world and kind of give you the sense of the frost giants is all like the he didn't use this phrase but the word word that came to mind to me was like the the high school football player who's 30 years later remembering his past glory and and so yeah i i I, there might be some element of that especially in that how much it it seems like the you know thor and the warriors three do a lot better in their fight against them later when we get to it than they do here so yeah i could see that maybe they are supposed to be a lot depowered by this point
1: well i mean not at this point at this point they're powered, right? right they're depowered. This by ones, the, yeah, they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, this the losing is the casket
0: gets them depowered.
1: Exactly. Well, and that's interesting, because actually, in the art and everything that they had kind of initially created for Jotunheim, um, I mean, because here, you know, when we first cut to Jotunheim and we see the city. I mean, it looks like a formed city. We see these big towers and what looks like buildings and everything with roads. I mean, it looks like an actual city made of ice. But later, like when when Thor came back, in all the art and everything, it was like a destroyed Jotunheim. Like half the planet was like falling apart and everything, um, which I guess as we get to those minutes, it will be interesting to see how much of that we see. Um, from being unplugged, right? Like, right.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, maybe that was part of unplugging. Yeah. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah. Right, the whole planet starts falling <laughs> yeah, apart. Yeah, the whole planet was done um. after
2: that, yeah.
0: Well, and so that's actually kind of a good segue, because Odin gives this very kind of flowery, wonderful speech about how they have brought peace to all the nine realms, and now they can sort of just go into full isolation and, you know, to help. No, he didn't say to help, but he kind of gives that sense of, like, we're not going to worry about all those other realms, we're just going back to Asgard, And I can't help but think about what we later learn about Ragnarok, you know, and I I don't, I have Uh no idea to what extent the writers here knew about that. I don't think they probably did. But it's all the stuff Odin says about peace in this. You know, it just it, for me, it's just very hard to hear it without without thinking of that. Is that true for you, too?
2: I Actually, that's all I thought about rewatching Thor was a lot of the stuff from Ragnarok and how important Asgard was to keep it and how it was very, this very tight regiment of, OK, I need you to run the kingdom this way. And this is how it needs to be done. And we know going in the future that's going to be flipped on his head. Like, they didn't have any choice, you know, to save the people. And it just, it kind of flips back to, you know, what would, you know, Odin think at this moment to what happened to Ragnarok, like, what had to happen to Asgard as much as, you know, how important it is to him um, in right. this segment and what it means. Like, yeah, all that, all those scenes from Ragnarok just started running through, by the way, it's my favorite Thor movie, by the way, is Ragnarok. Yeah. Like, all that started running through my head going through this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to have in here. And, and the idea of, like, I I guess it speaks to, you know, kind of it ends up making sense if if this The Last Great War ended, which sounds very World War-ish. You know, it's this Great War. And he says, we withdrew from the other worlds, which, again, makes it seem like the Frost Giants had been raging this battle across all the Nine Realms. And, um, and and we're trying to take over again, we talked about kind of the mustache twirling villains, which it seems that they were trying to make them out to be. But, yeah, it seems like now they're going to withdraw from the other worlds, go back home to Asgard and basically chill and and kind of step out of interacting as much with the other worlds, which I guess makes sense, because by the time we return to Midgard, as we've said, it seems like they are now just the stuff of legend and myth. They're no longer oh, yeah, those are those people from the other realm coming to stop by.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. And my own little weird headcanon that I'll run with is that I like the idea that we're still, in some ways, him losing the eye grants him more wisdom. And so maybe that's a part of what makes him realize, like, okay, maybe this is time to stop. But that's not supported anywhere, so all my own well, headcanon.
1: But only, you know what? That's actually a really interesting point. And tying in to to Ragnarok, it's mm-hmm. actually... If you, if you take that idea of it being wisdom, and we'll talk about this in a later minute, but there's, we, when we get to Ragnarok, we see the kind of person Odin had been, right? right. When, when Hela reveals the ceiling and it's this depiction of all this violence and taking over everything. That could be an actual element of like him gaining this quote wisdom from losing an eye and realizing, how awful things can become. And now he's decided to kind of change his ways. That's actually an interesting reading of it.
0: You know, this will mostly be in later minutes, but if either you want to comment now, go for it. To me, it also puts such a different spin on later in the movie, we get both Odin disappointed that Thor is such a like raging warrior and Loki thinking he will please his father by basically doing what Odin did before, you know? And so to me, there's this whole element of if, if Odin is, he's worried that, Thor is turning into who he was, or if Loki thinks he this is what Odin wants because he knows about whose his father used to be or, or anything like that. Yeah, and so it's all traced to the eye. That'd be such an interesting thing if this is kind of where he shifts from Ragnarok Odin to Thor Odin.
2: Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, too, just the the idea of, like, if you have that power, as he feels he has once he takes the, the Frost Giants the first time, you get too relaxed. Cause yeah. you know, his, you know, his yeah. sons had points. Like you can't just sit around. I mean, you know, just because you won the first war, you know, that doesn't mean that somebody's not going to come and come again or, or try to get in the Asgard and retake the throne. So are you just going to lay back and like, Hey, I got this. We got this under control. So nobody's ever coming. So we don't take the fight to them. So yeah, I thought it was very interesting. I, I always like that father son dynamic between all three of them going forward. Um, because it's always like he wants to just lay back and he's kind of like chill. And it's like, okay, I've had this years of fighting but it's like, I, it's, is that really what you got to do when you're rolling Asgard? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's you know, certainly this question of like all powerful leaders who have great armies and whether or not they decide to, you know, intervene in, in it's totally mythological, fictional, nothing to do with their own world. So nothing to learn there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely topics we'll we'll come back to. Now, I know also in this moment, we see the Bifrost for the first time. Kind of, Andy, what, what was your reaction seeing that, like, you know, the full rainbow without all the distortion we've seen before?
1: Yeah, because before we only saw it like the earthbound, <laughs> buried in a dust storm version of the Bifrost when when Thor gets dumped. Um, this is really, you know, the the version through space. I don't know. I. I ask myself when I see this, I'm like, it, do, do satellites pick this up when it's coming? You know, when, when these little things are zapping across the, across the sky, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know. It's kind of funny, but it's cool. I, I, I like the way that they've ended up depicting this. Um, what they've basically kind of decided is kind of almost like, um, wormhole travel, but they're just kind of depicting it in a way that kind of captures that rainbow bridge element of it, which I think is very cool. So I, I like the way that they, um that they made it look here.
2: It's just super cool transportation. That's one of my favorite things about Asgard. Like I was so disappointed like we go back to Ragnarok alive. Like I was so disappointed when that changed. Uh when that wasn't a thing about how they get back and forth and um I'm forgetting Indrsel was uh character name in and uh Thor. I know.
1: Heindel.
2: Okay, yeah. Heindel. Yeah. I I love like hearing him always scream for him to open up this this portal. To me is like that, like, okay, we're getting to that, the end of the plot where it's ending and we're getting there and they're going to go home. But oh, wait, there's, there's one thing it's like that always that, uh, that signal, um, throughout the Thor movies. But yeah, I just think it's so cool. I just, I wish I had me like a little bifrost somewhere I could just <laughs> transport in and out, like, you know, get to work home real quick, you know, but yeah, I, I am curious, like, how do they pick that up? Like when he does go to earth and everything, like, is there something they are detecting or is it just they can easily like invisibly get out to these different, you know dimensions are 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 different worlds and nobody knows they're coming in and out
1: yeah I, it's such a strange thing and it well and i guess you know the nine realms as far as that goes it's only connected to the nine realms it's not connected to all of space like why couldn't they take this to deliver the tesseract later to uh the collector you know there there are different you know explanations for all that but from what i've read the bifrost only connects kind of this area of the universe that the Asgardians, I guess, are kind of protecting. So, I mean, to that end, it is kind of an interesting little thing that they've created. It's just, it is, it does always, I don't know, things like this get introduced, and then I'm always wondering, well, why haven't they been able to figure out how to connect all these other areas? Like, why do we need these spaceships to zip zip around, you know? But, um, I don't know, it's it's still cool.
0: I think it's a really interesting moment where, like, the original story— and like the the larger story kind of clashed because you know the Bifrost is from the mythology but where the idea was that all of creation was these nine realms you know and then we take it to the comic books and it's like okay there's this nine realms but then there's Titan over here and then there's the you know planet of the the Kree and all that over there and so yeah it's an interesting like yeah this 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 idea works in this part of reality but maybe not transferring all over
1: exactly yeah
0: so from there, we kind of get into this, the long lingering shot that takes us into Asgard. We start upside down. It turns like first we see kind of this, this one shot that kind of flips under. I didn't quite understand what was going on there. what did you get that uh, Branagh was trying to show us in terms of Asgard by taking us un, upside down and then under the water and then back up, uh, back up. Is it just to say that like, we're kind of in a totally different part of reality here and that's not just a trip. What, what was your sense of it?
2: Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting choice to kind of flip it that way. I think I was more like pulled into the music and I was like, okay, they're giving us this false sense of like comfort for a second that, hey, like everything is okay. Also, just just in general, when you see these moments to me, I'm always wondering, like, what time are we playing like between a modern look and then like, you know, how Asgard was looking before, you know, with a lot of the camera angles and a lot of the way the buildings look. Um, to kind of give them a modern sense as support, like I guess old day Ascar, for lack of a better term, to mm-hmm. kind of mix the two. But yet, it very was for me. It was like a calm before the storm sort of camera shot when I when I first looked at it.
1: Yeah it's a, it's a it's an interesting way to kind of do that, and I, I'm sure that it was just something they decided to do to kind of just make it a little more visually interesting and to surprise as to what you're what you're what how they reveal it. Right. Like because you you kind of come in and it's it feels like. And I guess Asgard was kind of depicted in the comics like a, almost like an an asteroid that's just kind of floating around out in space. You know, it it was kind of just a flat, flat flat-ish sort of thing with a mountain and all that sort of thing. So I guess to that end, it kind of, they were Mm. maybe trying to pattern it off of kind of the way that it looked in the comics. But then as you kind of come in, it's, I don't know, I, I think that it had to be them just saying, oh, this would be interesting if we make people think it's this big crystal mountain peak sort of thing but then flip it and that's actually the bottom i you know it's it's i don't know it's such a strange way to do it but i find it very visually arresting and kind of just such a surprise go oh okay i wasn't expecting that so to that end i I, it ends up being kind of cool it's almost like two islands like mushed together Uh Hmm. opposite each other and one side is a big crystal mountain thing and then the water and then the other side of the island is like where the city is it did make me wonder, like, can they get to the bottom half of this?
0: <laughs> yeah, to, to me, it brought up thoughts of, like, various versions of, like, you know, the internal Earth and stuff like that. And um, Godzilla tried that and did not make any sense. So I think that here, you know, I'm happy that I'll try to explain it. And then the one last shot we get is of these kind of three pieces of, like, curved metal. They look like a tower that's kind of been disassembled. It looks like one of those towers that you pieced together as a kid, but the pieces have been taken apart, floating in space. Uh, floating in the air. Uh, When I took that as, I'm wondering how you saw it, I I know that Branagh, one thing he really cared about was that he wanted this to look like science fiction that it could inspire mythology. You know, the idea wasn't that these are gods and that there's actual magic and mythology, that these are just another being of, you know, another race of beings who are so scientifically advanced to us that it seems like magic and would inspire mythology. Uh, That That... I don't think it's ever been really explained, but that's what I kind of took from that. What we'll see a lot more of Asgard is that kind of sense you all got.
2: Yeah, everything like just to kind of piggyback a little bit off of uh, Andy's point here, everything with the building flips and the the way it reveals. I feel like it's very much just that eye teaser for you to try to get a sense of just how much at play is going on here at Asgard or how much you'll never understand. Like how they can kind of right. weave this. I always felt like as you continue to go through the Thor movies and just Asgard in general, they can kind of weave how much they can play with this environment and, and these mythical elements that we'll never quite understand. And they can just kind of pull from here and there um, to kind of, you know, to, to rule these realms, so to speak, or to always kind of keep that upper hand.
1: It's such a I mean, the reveal is cool. And again, I just I have to give a shout out here to uh, the Black Canyon in gunnison national park colorado um i was born near there and uh it's just a very beautiful area they actually use the canyon to kind of model these big canyons that we come into so it's just i I love seeing kind of these huge canyon walls and actually it feels again going back to kind of lord of the rings ish sort of style that some of this feels like this epic sense having these canyon walls with like city built into the walls themselves feels very lord Mm -hmm. of the rings ish to me Mm -hmm. Yeah. But again, to your point, then you have this weird floating building structure in the background that I've never understood. I've never seen it. I don't recall ever seeing it in either of the other Thor movies um, so, or any of the other times we come back to Asgard. So it'll be interesting as we get to those to see, do we, are there building, floating buildings in the background ever again? Or is it just some strange thing? But I do, to, to your point, Matthew, I like this idea that Brana had about making this stuff look magical. To a point where it's it's basically taking science to a point where it's beyond anything we understand scientifically, which makes it seem magical. But it really is just a very advanced form of science. So to that end, I do think it's a very cool thing, whatever it is.
0: Very much so. (laughs) Very much so. And to me, I think one of the things that we always have to remember. And Andy, I love that you know so much about the film business, and uh, Ryan, I don't know if you do as well. That there's a lot of stuff that we see that is. You know, because it's exactly what they wanted for the story and some stuff, you know, like you said, they, they filmed in New Mexico in part because it's cheaper than filming in other places. Uh-huh. And I, I think it's funny sometimes we forget how, this movie is, uh, I think oh, 10 years old by now. We forget just how much special effects have changed in those 10 years, you know, and I, we're really seeing kind of the birth of a lot of the, the CGI and the, you know, crazy effects and, and sets that will, endgame and all that just be so natural. And, you know, I do know sometimes there's a kind of like, you know, hey boss, here's this cool thing I can do. Can we put it in the movie somewhere thing? You know, like, they're just discovering the new technology and and not CGI was new, but, you know, big advances being made. And so I also do wonder with stuff like that how much of it's also just they were going for something else but couldn't quite get there or just had this cool new effect they wanted to be able to do or whatever that was.
1: It's entirely possible. It could be just some, some funky new render tool that they have that said, hey, we could make it rotating and floating. And they're like, ooh, that sounds fun. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> and Matthew, I just wanted to add, too, like, nothing, I have no idea, like, I, I'm wanting to know, like, some of the special effects and stuff they designed to do some of this, um, uh, but it's just when you see stuff like exactly what happened with the Mandalorian and how they create that background and everything and this, yeah. the studio of like screens, you start looking at this like, oh, well, does it have that same shock factor? You know, going back years later, you kind of lose a little bit of that because it gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger. Um, like you're saying, in game, that takes us to a whole other level. When we talk about the scenes and the backgrounds and all the different, mm-hmm. um, areas they had to go to for the different heroes. So yeah, it's it's it definitely makes you question like, man, are they getting too big? Like they have to keep coming up with ways for this to be visually stunning because they've done so much.
0: Yeah. And I know we're gonna talk about a scene in, in one of the later one of the next minutes we're gonna get to that is a practical effect instead of CGI and why that's awesome.
1: I may have to try reaching out to somebody at Whiskey Tree. Whiskey Tree did all the Asgard City effects. I may yeah. see if I could reach out to them and just say, what's up with that floating building?
2: What yeah, was that supposed to be? Yep. I,
1: yeah. I would love to get that. So I'm going to see if I can track one of them down and see if they'll hop Please on the shoot. show just That'd for five awesome. minutes <laughs> to talk about it.
0: I, we've had quite a lot to say about uh, a minute where I thought we were going to have some trouble with. Since there's literally one character who speaks in the entire minute, and 30 seconds of it is just move shots.
2: But Ryan, any kind of last last comments you want to make about this minute? Any last things we didn't get to get into? No, I mean, I think I just think this one for me was just like very visually like you were trying to take in all the little the little uh, camera shots and and pans and flips and turns. You're like, well, what does this mean? What is Asgard? You know, can I get my own Bifrost? So, you know, it's,
0: it's, it's, <laughs> it's a lot of cool elements for this. I, I just like a Bifrost that takes me to Idris elbow whenever I want. Like that alone oh, would be, you know.
2: thank you. very much. I'm glad somebody said it. I'm glad you put it out there. I'm glad somebody said it. I, I'm going
0: to complain later about how that beautiful man, a fantastic actor, gets wasted in this movie. But yes! that's a story yeah, for another yeah, time. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, as you said, he gets wasted in all all of the Thor films. I know. He's not nearly used yeah, enough. Yeah. I'm an
0: MCU stan, but it's one thing. DC has gotten better so far, but uh, that that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Andy, what about you? <laughs> Last comments you want to
1: make? I just think it's a visually um, captivating minute. There's, mm-hmm. um, you know, between a battle and other worlds, uh, Odin losing his eye, Bifrost travel, and the introduction to Asgard. I, there's a lot here. I mean, it does seem like there's there's not as much to talk about, but when you look at it, it's like there's so much visually to to kind of just kind of I don't know, take your breath away in this particular minute. So I think it's, um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting minute. I like it.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, Ryan, I'm so glad you can be a part of this. Uh, I'm looking forward, and I'm sure our audience is looking forward to hearing you for the next couple of days uh, on the next four minutes of this time that we're talking about. But for people who want more, as I'm sure they're going to, where else can they find you talking about uh, Marvel and Star Wars and all the other stuff you're talking about?
2: Anything for Black Girl Nerds we have on you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Black Girl Nerds. Um, but yeah, you can find me at November Bear on Twitter. But yeah, mostly just, you know, trying to find my little minutes to squeeze in on Black Girl Nerds, talking about Marvel. And thank you guys so much. I appreciate you guys for Having me. Awesome.
0: awesome.
1: So glad you could join us.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you to you. Thank Andy and all of our listeners. Thank you all so much and have a great day.
1: Until next time, true believers.
0: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.